Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is Dr. Beverly Coward. Dr. Coward is with the Monell Center, Advancing Discovery in Taste and Smell. She has her B.A. from Emory University and her Ph.D. in Psychology from the George Washington University. But today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic. You know, some people say you have to take time to smell the roses if you're going to enjoy life. Well, in this case, there might be people out there who could take the time, but they still might not be able to smell those roses. And I guess that's where we'll start. It's it's called anosmia. And what exactly is going on in these cases? Because you hear of people complaining of difficulty with smell, but you don't always know exactly what's going on or why it's happening. The smell system is uh, a fairly vulnerable one uh, that... The way it works is that there are receptors for various chemicals in the nasal cavity, the upper part of the nasal cavity. But those receptors are on primary nerve cells, so they're they're almost like brain cells that are outside of the brain, um, and they connect directly to the brain. But the the long and short of it is that those, in order to interact with chemicals in the environment, those nerves have to extend into the nasal cavity. And they're the only nerves in the body that interact directly with the outside world. So they're vulnerable to damage from um, a variety of pathogens, viruses, bacteria, and also from all of the stuff that we breathe in and out every day. So in some cases, uh, those nerves actually get damaged directly from those those kinds of exposures. Um, In some cases... They simply, their function is blocked by the fact that there's ongoing infection and swelling and inflammation in the nasal passages that interfere either with the the molecules getting to the nerve cells or impede the function of those cells in some way. And um, there's some people who are born without a sense of smell, and we often don't really know the reason why some developmental anomaly. There are a few genetic syndromes. Um, And then head injuries is another common cause of smell loss. And the reason for that is that as these nerve cells extend from the nasal cavity into the brain, they pass through a piece of bone called the cripperform plate, which actually looks like a, a honeycomb. It's this bone riddled with tiny little holes. And these nerve axons are passed through in in small bundles through these holes in this bone. So when your head is hit and there's the force kind of pushes the brain against the skull, those uh, axons can get crushed or severed, and and that can cause long-term losses of smell. Well, Dr. Coward, most of our audience, a large part of our audience, are primary care physicians. So they're in the office, and they're seeing different problems every day. And I I know as a primary care doctor myself, I don't often ask people, you know, how are you smelling things? Do you have any problems with smell? Occasionally somebody comes up and they'll mention they're having some issues. But is that a question we should be asking our patients about? Should we be asking them? Because I know in reading some of the work you've done and others, you know, if somebody doesn't have a sense of smell, they can be prone to all sorts of problems. For instance, they may not smell fire. They might, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of issues that could occur. Should we at least be asking the basic questions? Yeah, I think so, especially with older patients, because probably, at least in part, as a result of the, of the sort of buildup of damage over the years because of the exposed position of these neurons, 
and possibly also I mean, because the neurons don't regenerate as as well in older people. Uh, most people tend to experience a very gradual loss of smell with age, and because it's gradual, they often aren't really aware of how poorly they smell anymore, which makes them particularly vulnerable to dangers in the environment like fire or toxic chemicals. And, you know, can can interfere with their ability to enjoy food, but they don't really understand what's gone wrong, you know, unless you, unless you really probe about it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. I'm speaking with Dr. Beverly Cowart. We're talking about anosmia. We're talking about basically people who have difficulty with the sense of smell. Tell me a little bit about some of the pathology that can occur. Obviously, I guess things like with nasal polyps and things like like those types of obstructive type things lead to issues with smell? Yeah, and that's really the primary cause that is potentially treatable. So that's the first thing you want to rule out in a patient, that they don't have ongoing inflammation in the nose and sinuses or polyps that are causing blockage. Now, does the average exam, I mean, I know it's very hard, unless somebody has a real big problem for us to be able to tell if someone has polyps. Is that more of an ENT approach, and and how would they be evaluating that? Typically, an ENT would do, you know, an endoscopic exam and or get uh, a CT of the sinuses to, you know, to see what's going on. Now, usually, those kinds of patients will have other symptoms in addition to the smell loss, you know, pain or nasal congestion, Etc. Um, occasionally, uh, smell loss will be the only symptom, but that's pretty rare. What about people who like are obligate mouth breathers? Are they people more likely to have problems? If you're not breathing through your nose, you're obviously not getting molecules to where the smell receptors are. That does create a problem. Now, again, it's something that people are typically aware of, and you can, to some extent, compensate for that at least. I mean, a lot of what smell does in terms of food appreciation is stimulate the olfactory receptors through what's called retronasal flow of air so that as you're breathing out, um, when you chew and swallow food, the, the molecules slow up the nasopharynx to the nasal cavity and stimulate those receptors and really provide a substantial portion of the flavor of food. So that, with training, you can overcome that aspect of the problem of mouth breathing. That's the one place it would. So if you then otherwise have someone, they are saying they're not smelling things. And, you know, I've had a couple of patients say, it's really weird. I can smell things other people don't smell. Uh, I might smell uh, some strange chemical or something, and nobody else in the room smells it, but then I don't smell the things everybody else smells. And they say to me, what do you think? And I'm like, well, maybe you need to see a specialist because I'm not quite so sure at this point. But, but what yeah. about a case like that where you get some a bizarre things? Because I've had patients say they, they smell things other people don't, but they don't smell the common things, you know, the flowers, the perfumes, those types of things that, that they should smell. In addition to simple losses of smell, there are two other forms that smell problems take. One is smelling something that's not there, which is called phantosmia. So you have a phantom smell like phantom pain. And the other is called dysosmia or parosmia. And that's when you're smelling the 
what you smell is stimulated by something in the environment, but you no longer perceive it perceive it to have the same quality that it used to have. So everything's distorted, and oftentimes it's sort of all everything smells the same. Those kinds of problems are typically associated with some kind of neural damage to the olfactory nerve cells. So you you most often see them in patients who either have a problem that was related to a head injury or to a toxic exposure or to to viral damage. To be honest, we're not entirely sure what causes them. Um, The way that the smell system codes quality is that each of these millions of nerve cells that are in your nose have one type of receptor that they express. And people have three or four hundred different types of functional smell receptors. But they smell millions, if not billions, of different smell qualities. So what's happening is that each of these nerve cells is responding to different types of chemicals and some respond more strongly than others, et cetera, and you get a kind of pattern of response that gets relayed to the brain. Now, when there's extensive damage to the neural epithelium in the nasal cavity, uh, there may still be some residual receptors, but the brain is no longer seeing the same pattern of response that it used to see. And so you get these odd distortions. Now, with people coming in and saying they have either, you know, the phantosmia, they have anosmia, or, or even dysomnia, obviously there's different approaches to what you do. What do you do um, in your world at Monell to try and figure out what's going on and maybe help these people with their sense of smell? Well, as I said, the first thing you need to do is rule out any kind of evidence of ongoing sinusitis or nasal polyposis. And if that's present, then you treat that as it would typically be treated with medications and or surgery. Um, If it's not, to be honest, there's not a whole lot that you can do. The, the good news is that the other unusual thing about the olfactory nerves is that they are replaced throughout the lifespan. So new ones are continually growing and replacing ones that have died. That process isn't perfect, which is why over the years you can accumulate substantial damage. But... Oftentimes when people have acute losses related to viral infections or head injury or toxin exposures, given enough time, they will gradually just spontaneously regain their ability to smell. And sometimes it's during that process that they sort of go from anosmia to dysosmia or phantosmia for a period of time before they get back to something that's more near normal. There is substantial evidence. I mean, the the olfactory system, both in its regenerative capacity, is is obviously very plastic. And there are a lot of things about smell that that we we learn as opposed to being innate. Um, And we can improve our sense of smell with training. So people who are perfumers, for example, 
um, can you know can train themselves to discriminate smells that most people wouldn't notice as being different. And there is some, particularly some several recent studies indicating that in patients with with viral losses or head injury losses, or even losses related to uh, neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's, can improve their sense of smell by essentially working at it, making an effort to smell uh, a set of odors a couple of times a day, trying to uh, identify them, uh, just stimulating the system. Uh, And that seems to, in some cases, help to possibly stimulate regrowth or retrain the brain to, um, in terms of coding of the olfactory qualities. Well, we're starting to run out of time. We only have about a minute or so to go. And I wanted to ask you if you have, we have patients who have these types of concerns or issues. What's the next step? I mean, people all over the country are listening. What would they do if someone comes in with, with that? You would obviously do the initial part of the workup, as you said, and then they find out that there aren't the classic things. Are, are there centers around the country that physicians can turn to, uh, go online? What's the best way to do it to help your patient? There are really very few um, centers that specialize in smell loss. Um, I think the best thing, quite frankly, is to mention the possibility of practice and training and uh, to reassure them that that there is the potential for spontaneous recovery and that it's not necessarily a permanent loss, even if it's gone on for a year. Oftentimes, when we were regularly evaluating patients with smell losses and following them, uh, we would see people who would begin to get better two years later. So it's not entirely a lost cause, but as of right now, we don't know a whole lot about the best ways to try to stimulate uh, and enhance that that regrowth process. And that's one of the things that, that we're trying to address with some basic studies using both human and animal olfactory neurons and, and, and trying to regrow them and determine if there are ways that we can enhance that process. Well, Dr. Beverly Coward, I want to thank you for joining us. We've run out of time, but I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and insights on primary care today, and I want to thank you for joining us. Oh, well, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash today to download the podcast and learn more on this series. Thanks again for listening.